Hello, Michael. How are you today? Pretty well, all things considered, Luke. I think that I am uh, very conscious that a lot of other people um, are feeling very directly the effects of uh, the latest bout of COVID in a, uh, in a way which is, uh, yeah, hard to fully imagine. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's round two, like, uh, and yeah. And, and, you know, like it, it, it's coming after we weren't out of round one really in terms of recovery, right? So the, the sector as a whole is not as resilient as it was when COVID hit the first time. So it's, um, yeah, like it's, I don't want to say. What, uh, if anything, is your, what are you seeing with your new perspective? Being, I guess, uh, in government, essentially, what, is there any different insight that you're, you're afforded? Well, I'm, I mean, there's definitely a different insight or a different perspective. Is there anything you can tell us? Yeah, well, I think is, that, um, yeah, I, I, speaking from the personal experience, of course, now I'm inside the, the, the machine as opposed to on the outside trying to engage with it um, and it is uh, I observe that there's uh, like a degree like I think that my colleagues are engaged you know ministerially within the bureaucracy it's but it's the question of what to do and how to do it how fast to do it how much etc like that's the you, you know the thing and I guess like what we're seeing really, um, and I'm not an expert in epidemiology, but the, the variant is behaving differently to uh, um, the first time around, you know. So those, uh, I guess that the, everything that we assumed about how to lock down and, you know, reduce um, transmission isn't proving up in the same way. And so, yeah. like, I don't have... The, and, and I think that that is confounding... Uh, things for, and that's both inside government and and out um so i don't have great visibility on 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 it but i don't know that anyone does you know this, this is sort of being looked at in real time and i, mm. I guess the big question really is to what extent um federal support might uh come in in the same way it did you know um the first time the pandemic hit in march last year mm. Well, I guess uh, the thoughts go out to everyone in the industry and then to every industry, every party. It doesn't have to just be an industry-specific thing, but anyone in Victoria or in New South Wales that's affected, obviously, it's a uh, it's a tough time. Um, that that, that does, doesn't sound like it's I'm minimising it by any stretch of the imagination. Um, in terms of the podcast, if we can talk about that, who do we have coming on today? So Justin Newton from Housemaid Hospitality. Uh, mm-hmm. The physical manifestation of which uh, is, well, I guess currently not in operation, but it had been in operation briefly in Circular Quay, uh, Hinchcliffe House. Uh, very exciting. Um, I don't know whether you've uh, spent much time there. I've made it into the basement um, <laughs> on more than one occasion. Uh, <laughs> a man of my knowledge, interests, and uh, and was indeed looking forward to exploring it at every level, but uh, the lockdown hit. But uh, I guess uh, the, the team behind Housemaid includes uh, our good friend Jason Williams and, uh, and you know, it, it is, in my experience, um, commensurate with my own expectations, which were very high. <laughs> yeah, but they've got a great team. Um, 
Uh, and Jazzy in particular, Justin and I used to work together at Keystone for many years. That's how uh, we've known each other. Um, and he has long been regarded as not only an incredibly nice guy, um, but a pleasure to work with. Um, I will attest to that 100%. Um, I think and many people um, will understand after hearing him, um, you know, his focus around people and culture and product and the way that he thinks things through um, will assist uh, and, and complement that team in ensuring that they, you know, everything they touch will will, will be um, awesome. And I can, I have been to Inchcliffe House, it was phenomenal, food, beverage service, everything. They got, I think, four out of five with the latest review from Lethleen, um, which was uh, you know, that's amazing to deliver in any market, let alone a, a talent-staffed market in a brand-new venue. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, look, they'll do amazing things. I'm really excited to touch to Dazzy, so we might as well jump in and, uh, and get on with it. Let's do that. Welcome to the Back of House Podcast. Seamless. So nice. smooth. Another seamless start. <laughs> hey, Jazzy, what's going on? Sydney, lockdown, you know. Um, kind of wishing we were somewhere else currently, but uh, and you are somewhere else, so that's correct. I think um, we'll time check this in a bad way potentially, but um, it looks like so. It's the what day is it? The fifteenth of July. Yeah. It looks like we're about to send another major city into lockdown, which is amazing. With Melbourne sort of blowing up, but um, let's not start too dark. Um, I should probably introduce you. We will have already in the intro, but Justin Newton, welcome to the Back of House podcast. Thank you, mate. Nice to be here again. Yeah. What's uh, So take us through life, mate. What's it like for you down in Sydney at the moment? Yeah, look, it's pretty – I mean, you said you didn't want to start off too bleak, but it's pretty <laughs> – it is pretty bleak down here, pretty dark. Um, yeah. I'm just um, – I'm flabbergasted that we're in this situation again. It's just absolutely – bewildering um and i guess the difference for me this time as you guys know i'm i've i'm a business owner as opposed to last time i went through this lockdown i was working for a larger company um and so i guess the the effect of a lockdown i feel i've felt 100 percent this time um so it's you know it's impacting not just the business but the people that work you know for me but also it's affecting my personal life as well so yeah it's 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 shit yeah, really <laughs> um, like, yeah, it sucks. Um, and not to dis, I guess, move away from what you're saying. We'll come back to it, but just so people um, know, talk us through the business that you've recently opened. I mean, I, I had the. So you, you don't have to say this because it's often hard to to um, uh, blow your own horn. I guess is potentially the saying that I've gotten wrong there. But um, I had the pleasure of visiting a couple of months ago. I think and it and. Hinchcliffe House, I think you had Apollonia open and Grana, um, absolutely yep. phenomenal venue, um, very busy, food was exceptional, service was great. Um, do you want to just take us through where it's at now, pretend that none of us have ever been there or heard of it? And yeah, cool. um, and I think there's, you know, broader plans in place as well for you and the team. So give us the full rundown of where you would be right now if you weren't in lockdown. Yeah. So, look, this is um – it's a pretty ambitious project. We've been working on it for about uh, about three years. Um, timing we had no control over, um, but we currently 
occupy um, a heritage-listed wool store within um, the Sydney CBD precinct close to Circular Quay called Hinchcliffe House. Um, it's called that because it was built by a man named Andrew Hinchcliffe in 1868 and he was a, a wool trader. So he would um, purchase wool from rural New South Wales um, store it in the wool store, which is Hinchcliffe House, and then when the ships came in, he would export it overseas. So um, it's become part of a larger precinct called Key Quarter, um, developed by AMP Capital, which has taken over two entire city blocks down at, at Circular Key. Um, on one side, it's called Key Quarter Tower, and they've um, basically stripped back an existing uh, skyscraper to its core and reused the core to build. Um, this beautiful, huge new tower, which will house 9,000 corporates, and that starts to occupy as of first quarter next year. Um, and then there'll be three floors of retail underneath that. So there'll be a boutique supermarket and some gyms and um, a, a bit of an upmarket food court. And then across the road where we are is called Key Quarter Lanes. And it's called that because the block is subdivided into two, and there's a laneway that runs in the middle, and little laneways that cut down either, either side through to Young Street and Loftus Street. Um, and there's three apartment towers um, above the lanes, but in the um, first and, and ground floors of the lanes will be occupied by retail. And they've tried to build this um, this this each street Melbourne-esque things filled with um, cafes and restaurants and there's a, there's a florist there and a hairdresser and really build a little neighbourhood community within the Sydney CBD. Um, and they've chosen their tenants so that the area is occupied from first thing in the morning through till quite late at night um, and also seven days a week because there are people who live on site as well. So it's a really ambitious project and they've, they've made some conscious efforts to make sure it feels organic. Um, they've engaged – so Keycorder Lanes has three apartment towers. They engaged three different designers to design them so that they feel different. It doesn't feel like one designer's built this, you know, this, this, this block, which you get quite a lot in Sydney. But Hinchcliffe House is one of two wool stores that features in the the precinct. Um, And so we signed about three years ago, um, and it's a four-storey wool store. Um, It's about 1,000 square metres, beautiful, beautiful bones, right? Like this sandstone was laid in 1868. The timber beams are still original. Um, There was a slight refurb done in 1929, but it is pretty much as it, as, it, as it was. So when we're looking at the concepts to load into this building, we really traced back the history of um, uh, the, the site. And Andrew Hinchcliffe, when he exported most of his Australian wool, it went to mainland Europe and most of that actually went to um, Italy. So we decided to land on an Italian-inspired concept whereby, um, like Andrew Hinchcliffe would sell Australian wool to to Italy, we would view Italy through an Australian lens. So um, we're not an Italian um, concept. There's no, you know, red and white checked tablecloths and, um, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. We use Australian ingredients. There's Australian spirits in the back bar. Um, we employ Australian systems. Um, we've got a very local focus, but there is um, Italian inspiration behind that. So all the six concepts within the building have a degree of Italianness to them, um, depending on which floor you go to. Where you visited, Luke, was called Grana. Um, Grana is Italian for grain, and we've called it that because we've put a stone mill on site and we buy grains from northern New South Wales, and we make 
our own flour on site. And that flour is used in the on site bakery. Um, we have an on site pasta kitchen and we'll have an on site pastry kitchen or, or dessert room next door as well. So they are three sites. Um, there's Griner, there's Griner Bakery, and there's the Sweet Griner. So the grain kind of goes through the um, the entire floor and where you were Luke was was Griner Dining was the restaurant and we've we've gone for gold right we've we're doing the breakfast lunch and dinner service which is um, synonymously hard within the industry to get um, a menu and a service cycle and even just a, a look and a feel that transcends from first thing in the morning where it's coffee it needs to be bright it needs to be you know um, light and airy through till something a bit more moody and dark um, at night time um, downstairs is our basement um, speakeasy bar called Apollonia. It's a Sicilian bandits drinking den. Um, one of my partners is, is Jason Williams, um, who is Australian, obviously. He's from Brisbane. He cut his teeth um, in the bar scene down in Melbourne, um, and I worked with him at, at the Keystone Group in Sydney with, uh, with, with, with yourself, Luke. Um, and he's now creative director of uh, and part shareholder of a company called Proof and Company based in Singapore. So they um, do end-to-end bar consulting throughout Southeast Asia. So they do everything from coming out with bar concepts to um, training staff to designing to they sell cocktail um, equipment. They make their own spirits. So they're really an end-to-end beverage-focused company. And so very lucky to have him on board. And he always had this this idea for a um, a bar, which is in the, the back of his head, based on a chapter of the Godfather novel by Mario Puzo. He was obsessed with this particular scene, um, uh, oh, sorry, part of the book where Michael Corleone, um, played by Al Pacino in the movie, has to flee America because um, he shot the head of the rival family and the police chief in the head. Um, and so he flees to Sicily until the heat dies down and he's just wandering through the hills with his two um, guards um, and he sees this woman. And the book describes he's struck down by by the thunderbolt, this this Italian epiphany, this love at first sight, where he just must have this woman. Um, and so he follows her back to her father's bar, um, which uh, the book just describes as a Sicilian bandit's drinking den. And you never actually see inside the bar in the movie by Francis Ford Coppola, and you never actually hear about what the bar's inside. But this is a, a fantasized version as to what we think the bar might look like in 2021. And the lady was called um, Apollonia. So that's where that came from. Um, the first floor is a restaurant called Lana. Lana's Italian for wool. And Apollonia, despite its name, is quite masculine. Grana is something for everybody and quite neutral. So Lana, we wanted a more feminine feeling. And Lana is also a female's name and so by feminine we're more talking about um there's a softer color palette um there uh it's it's seafood focused um you know very light food seafood um pasta fresh fresh produce um but also there's this spirit of generosity which we you know we see very Clearly, and look, we, we're all dads here, and we've seen our our, our wives um, turn um, from these amazing um, women into mums. And this maternal instinct kicks in, right? Where you they were amazing before, but they become a lot more like caring and selfless and generous. Um, uh, and if you look at what hospitality should be like, it's actually a direct 
overlay, right? Like that's what hospitality should be like. So this has more of a really generous spirit. There's lots of bits and pieces in the service cycle which you'll feel like warm and comforted by. There's lots of um, things which are bespoke to your particular experience. So we've given um, the team a lot of um, tools they can use to really curate your experience. So it is about you and not about this the service cycle. Um, and there's lots of extra bits and pieces that you'll get um, uh, ab- absolutely gratis to make sure that you're, you're truly, truly valued. So um, yeah, just a really kind of old school hospitality feel up there. And then our top floor is an event space, which is called Hinchcliffe House Events, um, which took us a number of weeks to come into that name, actually. <laughs> it's just a, um, a bit of a summary of the entire building. So um, if you book an event up there, you can have the you know the music from Lana, you can have the drinks from Apollonia, you can have the food from Grana, you can kind of mix and match and do what you want. So yeah, six different sites within the one um, the one building. So quite a, a, a brave endeavour, um, considering how hard opening one site is, but doing a number of, of openings over the course of a very short amount of time and then, you know, throwing a global pandemic and a, um, and a town in lockdown and it becomes even more difficult. So that's where I am. Wonderful overview. And for the record, my wife uh, was perfect and uh, only made her more perfect. Um, we'll identify with that. And uh, but I, I did want to interrogate a couple of things uh, and I haven't had, uh, unfortunately, the um, joy of dining as yet. Uh, and I, I think I was booked, but um, something came along, put pay to that. But um, yep. I spent a bit of time downstairs in Apollonia and uh, yep. enjoyed the experience. And I've got a couple of things to ask you. Um, the first is, um, which is a bit of a throwaway, but I sat at the bar a couple of times and, and in what I've recognized as becoming a trait that will only happen more often in life, I've had patrons ask why the name of the bar and have bar, bar staff say, oh, you know, the Godfather and the patrons say, um, no. And I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm, I'm what, what, what? So, um, I don't know if that's sort of a common experience and, uh, but I've been bouncing it off, uh, some younger team members and so forth and they've heard of the film, but not necessarily seen it. So I don't know whether yeah. that's been, a, been a, um, a, a common experience or just something, a couple of un- unique when I've been in a couple of times. Well, it, do people, um, engage with the theme and know the reference or they discover it? I can't exactly. Yeah, look, it's 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 funny because um, if you actually dig deep and you know about the story, there's a lot of references within the concept. So, um, as an example, the cocktail list is curated um, with reference to the movie. There's stills from the movie in there. There's um, Jason's built the cocktail list to kind of tell this story of of Apollonia, what she goes through. Like she she gets married to Michael Corleone, which is you know there's beautiful romance there, but then she dies in a, a car bomb soon afterwards. So there's the the tragedy as well. So um, that's there too, that the bartenders all on their lapels wear a pin of the flag of, of Sicily, which is obviously where they they, they met and Apollonia was from. Um, we have uh, the, the, the playlist is a, a, a mix of 1950s um, it, Italian boy bands and a genre called called Yeah Yeah, which is like a, a Euro pop back in the 50s and 60s, so referencing the time as well. Um, the candles um, have this sense of things that you would find in the Sicilian hills like rosemary and citrus and olives, but also there's a bit of, of gunpowder in there as well because she she died in a car bomb afterwards. So if you wanted to actually dig deep, there's quite a lot of references 
to it. But at the same time, I say, if you want to just go down and have a really great cocktail, then that's that's there as well. The interesting thing about a concept, right, is that, um, and I'll, I'll, I've got a really good example of this, but um, a concept um, I think is not just for for the guest, but when someone puts together a an idea or a venue, um, uh, it needs something to ground it, right? And something that to anchor it, of which all other decisions come from that. And um, to open a venue, there are thousands of individual decisions need to be made around the drinks list and the glassware and the music and the temperature and the colours and the seating and textures and you know all, all sorts of things. And unless you have something to ground and and anchor that, it becomes um, this mishmash of, of ideas. And I guess that goes with any art form, right? Like if you're, I don't know, if you're a chef and you're cooking or if you're a, I don't know, a, a musician and you're playing, if if you don't have a concept or if you don't have something that grounds you or a purpose or, or an intent, um, then the all of the bits and pieces that go into your performance or your, or your art form become a bit confused. And the person that receives that might not be as educated as you and can't specify what's you know what's wrong but the general feeling will be right that it just doesn't feel feel right and so I guess a concept if anything gives you confidence gives you clarity and confidence to make these decisions and I I've I had an experience when I went uh, I was at Melbourne um, before this whole thing happened and I dined at dinner by Heston um, and I actually went with with Jason, who's with my partner. Um, and I looked around the room, and the room felt like there was something that tied it all together, but I couldn't actually pinpoint what it actually was. And I tried for ages to to, to pick it, like was it a particular time or a genre, and or I just couldn't couldn't find it. Anyway, I eventually asked the waiter who was um, who was serving us. And I said, is there a theme that ties everything together? And she's like, well, actually there is. She said, well, Heston was obsessed with discovering or rediscovering all these old recipes within within the UK. And in his search for information around the things that have become, you know, part of pop culture or things we take for granted, but where, where they come from, there's one particular family in the, I don't know how long ago, like the 1600s or 1700s, that was responsible for a lot of the dishes that we become so used to. Um, and so if you look around the room, um, the, uh, the, the lights that are on the wall are a replica of these moulds that they used to make cakes in. Um, the family emblem is emblazed on the roof. Um, all the different um, waiters, there's different genres. So there's this sommelier, there's the floor supervisor, there's the waiters, the runners. They all have different different colours um, based on and they all had the family crests. Um, and there were all these references to this to this concept and theme that I didn't know of because it's so detailed, but it felt like it was, was tied together somehow, but I couldn't work out without how. So I think it just it's really spoke to me. It was a bit of a moment of an epiphany where the, the concept doesn't need to be super obvious to the person um, as long as the creators have – it gives them confidence and clarity to make these, these, these decisions and the guest will inadvertently feel like the place makes sense and it feels right. So, um, yes, we have people that query the name, but the overwhelming feedback is that the venue feels like complete, like there's purpose and intent behind it. And actually the best um, uh, compliment with it that we've got is that it feels like it's been there for ages. 
it feels like it's really like, and it's it's in a basement and it's we've had to cut the sandstone out of the Sydney bedrock to give us this basement. So it already has this really established feel, but they feel like the chairs and, and the music and everything, it feels like it's been there for a long time. So there's a, for, for me, that's like, you know, big tick. Yeah. The, um, I keep thinking, and we'll come back to uh, your current venue, but <clears throat> you've, um, you mentioned that we've worked together before, and I guess my recollection of our time working together, which was probably spanning maybe four years, five years, correct? Something like that. Um, if we were opening a venue, you were kind of the one that was given the keys to go and execute it for a bit of a period there. Um, what was it like going from a scenario – and I know your role at Lion was fairly similar if you want to – talk about that as well so people understand what I'm re- referring to but what was the adjustment like going opening venues for other people um, to then doing it for yourself because it's a process I've been through as well as you know and you actually have one of the venues that I opened for myself now in your portfolio um, your decision making I found is, is is challenged in a way because all of a sudden it's your money it's your um more of your reputation, um, it's your future on the line with the decisions that you're making. How did you find that process of going from doing it from others to then having it all on the line for yourself? Yeah, good. that's a good question. Um, so, yeah, so my um, the role you're referring to just uh, previous to this role was I was um, general manager of hospitality for Lion. So several arms to that, there was the managing the existing portfolio of sites across, uh, across the country. So obviously Lion brew beer and attached to a lot of the breweries are hospitality venues like the, the little creatures um brewery over in Fremantle, in western australia has this um amazing um complex attached to it like four different venues um bars and and and, and restaurants the 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 great hall which is the big um i guess restaurant there um you know can seat over like a thousand people. So it's huge. Um, and it's, I think it's still up there for one of the top five things to do when you go to Perth. Um, so it's, you know, it's very, it's very iconic. Um, but also the other part of the role was to engage with third party operators, um, and Lion would act as a partner for them. And, you know, um, in terms of hospitality concepts. And so there was a portfolio of concepts, um, that, um, Lion, came up with and then engaged third party operators to 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 operate so there was a bit of a creative part of that role too so um yeah it's it's funny you're you're completely right like you not that you second guess every decision because it's your decision right but you know the buck does does stop with you if you're doing it for yourself um you find yourself getting into far more detail um than you otherwise would and i don't think it's because i took opening a venue for somebody else with any less, I guess, reverence or, or gravity. It was more, I think, because um, you don't have the layers of support behind you, which you assume are going to be there to make those small decisions for you. So you just take care of the big stuff. Like all that stuff is yours also. Um, so there's a lot more accountability for sure um, and a lot more, more involvement. Um, but actually, contrary, I think, to maybe where the question was going, I actually was I was walking around just prior to COVID and I, I said to, um, to to someone that, that, that came in, someone from um, from the industry, and they, they asked the same question, it's like, do you feel different in this venue because, you know, it's yours as opposed to what you've worked for previously? And I said, um, I I actually don't. It's this weird thing. Like, I, I still feel like I'm, like I'm an, I'm an 
employee, if that makes sense. Um, but I don't think it's because I take opening my own venue with any uh, less seriousness. I think it's just um, the way that I, I, I like to think that I approach most of my work. I do, I, I do take it very seriously and whether it's for myself or for, or for somebody else, I think, um, you know, you put your entire self into it. And I remember doing all those openings, Luke, I think with Keystone, there was like, I think I did like, I don't know, six or seven in the course of like th- three or four years. Mm. Um, and um, it got to a point, I think after the third or fourth, where every time I did an opening, I'd have to have this, this chat with my amazing wife, Michael, um, uh, where I'd say, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go into an opening. So the things are, is that I'm not going to be around that much. I'm not going to um, be, be sleeping that much. I'm going to be a bit sensitive because I'm overtired. I'm, I'm going to lose weight. Um, there's all these things that I learned for the first three or four, which is what you put yourself through to do an opening because it's such a hard graft. So it's not like um, because I was opening for a bigger company that I wouldn't put myself through that. And I felt the exact same thing with this one. So I think the hardest thing about this one though, is that it's, it's six openings within like three months as opposed to three years. Um, but yeah, no, it's been an, an interesting, um, interesting process, but yeah, no, I, I don't feel that I've, I, I treated um, other people's money or responsibility any less than I have with, with this one. It's, 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 it's good. It's been, it's, it's been great. Hardest thing I've, I've ever done, without a doubt. Um, and just uh, like, you know, let's talk for a moment change the tone a bit because it's um it is yeah as we're writing as we're sort of broadcasting i think that it seems that melbourne might go into lockdown um and 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 obviously as a new business for existing businesses they've struggled through you're a new business that kind of opened and and very soon after has been impacted like just want to kind of give us a flavor almost as a you know just lived experience for a few minutes yeah yeah, look, uh, it's it, it's tough, right? Like we we we're just starting to gain momentum. We've we're just starting to find out our processes. Um, people are starting to to learn about us. There's been some good PR, which we know it's very rare to get two or three bites of that cherry. Like you've got that first impression when you go out to market. It's hard to go out with market with that that, that bigger story subsequently. Um, it's uh, and also like you know financially, it's it's only two and a half three months in, so you know we haven't been operating for a long enough time to you know potentially get us through a period of sustained closure. Um, and the initial government support of between five and, and ten grand for a venue of our size, and we're look just to be honest, we're completely self self funded too. Um, it's a like it's. <laughs> It's it's tough, and that that ten grand does not touch the sides, and it's different now. That's ten ten grand a week, which is a bit a bit better. But like, if you look at um, where six sites within one large site, so if you look at your services and your utilities, and look, we we also want to make sure that we don't 
we, we've got we we were quite conscious when we're starting our business to have an iron out our core set of, of values first, um, because we that again would um, cement a lot of our decision making. Make sure that our any subsequent venues that we did kind of had some kind of um, consistency to them, as opposed to tr- just opening random venues and then retrospectively trying to you know to brand them. And one of them was to make sure that we just we were we were just good people, right? Like pay your staff correctly, pay your suppliers on time, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we, we want to make sure that we um, we live out the values that we um, that we hold so dearly, right? And so to to have suppliers that also are in a pinch that need to be paid as well, we, we want to make sure that we pay them. So it's just a really – there's all these flow-in effects. Um, mm-hmm. And also as a business owner, um, just the, the guilt that I can't – offer the team that have been really hard to recruit in this market and have worked so hard. Like everyone has punched well above their weight to get us to where we are to do these six openings in this, um, in this huge site and for them to just not have work over overnight. And again, the 600 bucks per week or 500 currently 600 as of um, Sunday um, does go, go some ways. And yes, you can talk about, um, stalling your rent and you can hold, hold off on bills. But in most cases, you're just transferring the debt to after COVID, right? And when, when we open back up, that debt's still there. It's not like they're going to give you rent or power or, or gross groceries for free. So it's, um, yeah, to, to put all of our team in that position. And I know it's, it's not my fault and I know it's not any, anyone's fault really. It's just a, it's a really tough, tough, tough place to be in. So um, we're not going to close down because of this, but it's going to take months and months to get back from this. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And in, in terms of, of your question, Michael there, you know, the um, last time you had to prove that there was a 30% reduction as of 12 months ago, well, we don't want to have 12 months worth of trading. Like if, if we're at, at zero now, 12 months ago, we were also at zero. So um we're looking into it a bit further and hoping that there's a bit of a loophole considering that we're a new, new business too. So things yeah, like that yeah. I think need, need to be considered. It, yeah, it'll be yeah. interesting to see, and Michael, I'm sure we'll have insight on this, um, but what the actual final stipulations are. I think they've um, – our accountant, I was speaking to our accountant about it today, and, you know, you, you don't have historical data. Our business was half the size it was in two years ago in 2019 where they're saying you need to – show the 30% drop so I won't be able to show that but if you asked me to show it from two months ago would very easily be able to show you a 30% yeah, yeah. drop so I think once they iron that out and it gets clear for people it will be helpful but um, I think not to discount the experience of anyone um, throughout the last couple of or last year and a half I guess now it's been going on that long but owning a business in this climate um, is an exceptionally challenging proposition um, i don't think many people um can comprehend if they're not actually doing it um in terms of the um you know the you know, every time this comes up you're looking at cash flow you're looking at how many people you can keep whether you can keep them all what you need to do to keep them how do you make them happy how do you make sure they're okay how, are you going to be able to have a business in two months time three months time six months time um and everyone going through that again. I mean, the poor Melbourne people, if they go into lockdown again, um, how many times? That'll be the fifth, I think, for them. So yeah. it's uh, it's not an easy ride at all, particularly when you've only been open for a couple of months. And I, 
I think it's important to reference the review that you guys got for um, Lana. You know, if if you were open today, based on four out of five from Lethleen, correct? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Would be trading to the absolute rafters, I would imagine, through this period, and 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 that's the kind of stuff that I know you're. I can see it on your face, gutted to not be experiencing that and riding that wave. But you know, I'm sure it will come back, given how how good that was and um and the quality and execution that you guys have put in there. Yeah, no, that's 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 a great point too. Like like I was saying, like we were on this this just roller coaster of of uh, of, of great great PR and good reviews. So. Um, which is what you need to get a, a business going. That's exactly what you need. You 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 invest so much time and effort, um, and you know, money too, um, to get the word out there. And so it feels like. And look, I, I, it's not all doom and gloom, right? Like I'm sure people who wanted to dine at Lana and read that review will go, okay, sweet. I'll just make a booking when you you reopen. So it's not all, all lost, but you definitely lose a lot of traction. Um, and we'll find that because, you know, we're a new opening, people were coming in, there were people that were posting about us online and that generates more content and more likes and more reviews and it's this like this, um, you, you just gather momentum. But um, it's going to be really hard to start that again, particularly because we'll be a newish business but not a new new business anymore. So, Yeah. Look, uh, and I just think, and I, I just think press release it again, just saying open for the first time, just like see, who, yeah. see who's been. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to make light of it, but uh, you know, it's um, it's it's yeah, like uh, I think in in totally understand the momentum lost and um, and from just chipping in there, a couple of things is the yeah, it's kind of these conversations. Why like this industry engagement is important for me, my role, and uh, I want to keep doing it because you. I mean, in New South Wales government to try to uh, close the loops or, um, uh, yes, I think is the right way of putting it, like, or like, well, make it work is what I'm trying to say, make it work. And, uh, you know, so things like that new business thing, for example, on a radar uh, and, you know, I can sort of hopefully be in rooms where, you, you know, the as imperfect as, as relief mechanisms are, they at least um, um, are workable. Um, which is, I think, that one of the other observations is, and having been a business owner and or at least accountable for PL sort of for a long time, uh, yeah, I do think you're right. Like, it's very hard for people who don't have, who haven't had to carry that themselves to understand what um, people like yourself and you, Luke, are, are going through. Like, it's just, it's just not the same, you know, experience. And so, um, I, I, how you sort of convey that um, to, to everyone who's involved in a process. From, from politicians all the way through the bureaucracy to people, service centres is, you know, something which will take take some effort to communicate, I guess. Pretty little thing, let me light your count, cause mama, I'm so hard to hell and I yes around. Action, speech louder than word, and I'm a man with a great experience. Um, so, uh, in, in terms, um, like uh, Justin, of the the reopening, then, like, is it? Have you, like, is there any sort of discussion around it, and you know, or is it just too too soon to talk about it, or like, is how? Like, I'm just curious to see how the sector as a whole is, you know, like, is happening, right? So, can we get relief? Part one, part two is okay when we. When and if we can open, how do we do it? Are you in that frame of mind as well? Can I? Ask? 
Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it'll be remiss of us to take this time just to sit at our knees and, and lick our wounds. Like you've got to, there's nothing you can do about it. So you need to be pro- proactive. And we are taking the time to make sure um, uh, that we tick off a lot of the things that, um, Luke, as, as you know, when you open a venue, you're so focused on the floor and service and guest experience that there's the stuff that has to happen behind the scenes that just doesn't get done. So we're definitely taking this time to bring the team together and to find out all of those so that when we do open, we have those processes and systems and things all, all lined out and, and, and in place. But there's a, there's a whole degree of planning, right? So um, a, few, a few points here. So where I guess the hardest thing for the industry is uncertainty. So if Gladys says to us next Thursday, sorry, in Thursday, two weeks time that we're re- reopening on the Friday, we can't reopen on, on the Friday. Like, we need three, four days to buy in stock. Uh, we need to get um, uh, our chefs into prep. We need to batch cocktails. We need to, you know, get the, the machine going again. And you also have to un- understand too that um, those supplies that we buy stock from will be swamped with orders in that, like, it's like the whole city will order at the one time to refill their fridges because we've been closed for four weeks. So everyone's cool rooms are basically empty or, or whatever. So what that impacts on um, pricing and timing and, you know, the availability of, of produce as well. Um, so it's going to take time to get to, to get open. The other thing about um, uncertainty is we are assuming that we will open with one per four square metres, with 1.5 metres between tables, with masks, with QR codes, with, um, with hand sanitizers, based on our last experience. But we don't know that for sure. It's a pretty good guess, but what are the restrictions that we will be imposed with to ensure this is our last lockdown, as she said, until we get vaccinated? We, we don't know those things yet. So we're trying to make our best guess and planning where, okay, if it's one per four square metres, we can get this many people in Grana, which means we can maybe we can expand the number of sittings we do. So we do three sittings at lunch instead of two. You know, Maybe we can use some spaces um, around the building that aren't used normally for excess overflow, um, you know, what are the points of entry and putting up QR codes, et cetera, and all these things. Um, there's a, you know, a social media campaign making sure that people are um, aware of any offers or things that we've, we've got going on, um, making sure that our team is still engaged and they haven't, not that they would leave us because no one's really hiring, but the fear is that a lot of the casuals will just leave hospitality altogether because a lot of these guys they're just doing this job in the interim to get them through other, other things, which we'd like to fix, of course. But if they can see more certainty in a different industry than hospitality, then, you know, we lose these guys. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff going in the background that we need to make sure that we discuss and make our best assumption and then plan towards that. But until we know for sure about the details of, of reopening, it's really, really difficult. I was going to ask that question actually in terms of it's one of the senses that I had um, and I've been suggesting that we've because when you sort of take a more macro view on the city as a whole you're saying well as you try to recommission reopen like what are the impediments and you know you're touching on supply chain there but the one relevant to the reason this podcast exists is of course the staffing issue and uh, you know Mm. the impact of uh, a lockdown upon lockdown and the knock-on effect in terms of worker morale and seeing um, job security in the sector uh, and the extent to which people are leaving it. These these episodes um, can't be good 
Um, but it, yeah, like it, it doesn't. It, it does concern me in particular um, that uh, that 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 the skill the skill gap because in the only way market economics then will come back in um, putting price premium pricing into labour, which increases the price of product to consumer, which has a knock on effect to consumption ultimately. So yeah, mm. um, it's it's a concern of mine to it talking about but yeah yeah and and also if there is reduced capacities which there there, there will be we can assume when when we open and there are less people coming through does that mean there's less less shifts going around for the people than we, we have before potentially um you know there's 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 a whole bunch of um, and I, I go back to the start where, you know, the, the personal pressure that I feel the responsibility on the team that I've, um, that, that myself and my colleagues have worked so hard to recruit and not being able to provide for them currently, but also when we go back, it's, it's, it's un, uncertain too. So the, the industry like staffing wise is, as most people will tell you when you read all, all over, you know, Instagram and, and LinkedIn is the worst it's ever been. Um, it's not, not only do we have a, an, an absence of those skilled international workers, which, you know, made up such an important part of our industry, um, but also there's the discouragement of, of, of locals to get into the industry because they've just seen how much hospitality just operates on an absolute whim. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, look, it's, it's challenging, but look, the, I just like to think that, um, and we always, like my business partners and myself always said that we're going to be a new group to the Sydney scene amongst a whole bunch of really established, really good operators. So how do we kind of cut through and we can't come in with, um, you know, previous PR or brand awareness. We can't come in with, you know, all these bells and whistles um, because we're a new business starting out from a standing start. But what, what we can offer are just really wholesome values, a commitment to our team, making sure that we're, um, you know, decent people that are engaged with our with our staff. And we, we do a whole bunch of, of cultural things. There's language that we use. Um, we make sure that we focus on team development and, you know, what are their personal motivators it's not just about work like it might be my business but the team member that's on the floor at the front door this is not their their permanent job so what inspires them what drives them how can we support that how do we extend our reach beyond just um the four walls and make sure that we actually build a bit of a, a bit of a family and it's a conscious culture that we're that, that, that we're trying to build so i i think that we're not perfect and there's a lot of stuff that we need to work on because we've been so so busy up until this point but i think offering people a sense of place and a sense of, of security, but also um, a sense of care. Like a care is a word that we've constantly referred to when we've come across our, our values and how we're going to engage our team. And if people feel cared for, whether it's our suppliers, our partners, um, our, our, our team, our guests, that's essentially what hospitality is. And I've worked in a couple of, of instances where I – haven't felt care within hospitality, and I, I've I've kind of gone on this rant before where um, hospitality through you know MasterChef, and I do attribute MasterChef to a really sh- um, sharp um, rise in the popularity of the food and, and beverage scene, and in Instagram and social media platforms are, are perfect for for posting a variety of things, and food and beverage is perfect for that, right? But um, with all that comes people into the scene which might not have the um, the truest of intentions. They just want to jump on the bandwagon and make some make some money. And so there's so many um, so many um, instances you've heard of where 
you know, people have had really negative experiences with hospitality operators because the, the, um, their intent has not been, I guess, true or aligned with, with them. So we've always come at it because we're all industry born and bred. Um, we always want to offer like a true sense of hospitality and care. We're actually about, about people. Um, and, you know, there are easier ways to make money than in, in, in hospitality, right? Like you, <laughs> you do it because you absolutely love it and it's, it's a really hard graft. Um, but we'd like to think that that's come through with our team. And so we, we check in with our team, both the full-timers and the, the casual, like constantly. Um, and at this stage, they're all still, still, still around. So I just hope we've got the ships for them when we open back up. I pretty bleak this conversation so far. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was just about to say, I've got an idea. Let's forget for the next little while that COVID exists. Okay, let's just give ourselves a little bit of a break. Um, what would you be doing with that in mind right now with your group, newly formed group? I know there were big plans. Pretend they're all possible. Anything's possible right now. Where, what were you seeing in the Sydney market? What do you think is going to happen in the Sydney market? And, and what were you going to build? What were the, what were the plans looking like? Um, yeah, so we, we wanted, um, um, actually, I might just talk you through our, our values, if that makes sense. Cause that's, that's kind of the basis of everything that we, and we, we actually, um, spent a lot of time with some, some butcher's paper and, back and forthing to agree on what our our company values were and just so everyone's aware there are five um, partners in the business um jason williams that i've mentioned um scott brown uh who um is from sydney but he's um kind of made his name um as he owned a hospitality group called hip group which was over in auckland which had 18 restaurants and um and, uh, and cafes, but also had had production. So had an, an, an orchard and a vineyard and a farm and a bakery and stuff so they could actually produce the goods that go into their um, business. Um, Roger Gregg, who I used to work with at the Keystone Group with uh, with, with yourself, Luke, um, who uh, owns a, t- a tech company now but is still very passionate about hospitality. Um, and a guy named Stephen Seckold, who um, is our executive chef and common director, but cut his teeth at um uh, at flying fish and um some some really good restaurants around the joint but has um spent the last three or four years in in, in consulting and so has both sides of the pass if, if you'd say that, that that kind of experience um and so the five of us um we were quite like i said really staunch on ascertaining what our values and i guess our company brand was before we got new sites because i've had a couple of experiences with companies where they've just grown organically and they've just you know developed a bar a pub a restaurant and all of a sudden they got to a certain size and thought hey we need a company brand and then have tried to retrospectively insert a brand onto these venues that were built without that intent going back to the apollonia story before so um it feels a bit a bit wrong and a bit a bit mismatched so important that we had a kind of like an anchor. Um, the other thing, because there's five of us, um, we, we wanted to make sure that the values that our company had reflected our own personal values. So we did an exercise with the five of us, listed the things that were the most important to us, and then we found the, the commonalities, and then we kind of drilled down as to what they were and got these kind of these five, five, five values. Um, the first one is just be good, and that's reference to like just uh, just always do the right thing even when – no one's watching. So that talks to 
integrity. Um, just be good to the environment, be good to your community, be good to your team, be good to your guests, be good to your suppliers. And again, I, I talk about there's a lot of instances in industry where you read about companies not being good, you know, and um, and not doing doing the right thing. So I think it's important um, that we're just decent human beings. Um, the next value is uh, your your welcome, and that just refers to open arms. Anyone is welcome within our walls to work or to dine or, or to drink. We're not pitching to a certain market. We're not going to segregate anyone. It's 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 all inclusive. Um, a lot of companies um, are pitched to a certain demographic, which is which is fair enough. We were chosen to be open to everybody. Um, the next value is care fully, which we thought was quite um, smart instead of the word carefully. Um, and just kind of refers to like, we, we care for our guests. Um, we care for our, our, our team. There's that old school hospitality, but also we care about, about the details too. So, um, if the cleaners mop the bathroom floor and they, they miss the bit of the corner that the mop doesn't quite get, and that's a bit dirty. And then you're sitting in the bathroom and you see that, um, that might not be a big thing for you at the time, but if that's subconsciously um, not stuck with a whole bunch of other small details that you've missed, then it forms an impression to the guests that, you know, you don't, you don't really care. So being really concerned around all those individual little, little details is really important to us. Um, Staying true is a good um, a value that we have to um, to live by as well, and that's more about being yourself and being quite quite authentic. Um, and uh, also, like just a, the simplest version of things is, is often the best. So don't make things too complicated, and don't try to be really smart um, and uh, and really and really clever. Just you know, have your intention or your concept or, or your drive, and just go go after that. I think in the industry, too many people try to to be too too fancy and too clever and it just comes off a bit a bit convoluted um and the last one is just to, to have fun like we um everything's a bit serious sometimes when you talk about company values and, and goals and metrics and things but at the end of the day we're in this industry because we absolutely love what we do so um making sure that we've got a smile on our face is really important as well so those those five values are things that we try to um permeate through everything that we do and i think the whole staffing thing is a really good example where um we didn't have a lot of access to really good experienced um, staff. Um, we weren't, you know, there were companies out there, like I said, with more of a reputation, um, with more brand presence, with more security that were paying more. Um, so what we actually looked to hire for was an alignment of the values. And I've got this old school approach that the culture is a combination of values and process, right? You have to believe in the same things, but then you have to, you have to do things a certain way as well. And so if we can fast track our culture by ensuring that all of our new hires share the same values. We're kind of halfway there and then we need to, to build processes. So if we can't hire for experience, let's hire for values to ensure that we can build a good culture, which will then, you know, the hard skills we can, we can teach. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's taken some time, but, um, but we've done a pretty good job and look, we haven't got it right on, on all occasions. There's been a few hires, which have been a poor cultural fit, but for the most part, I think, um, and look, actually, the John Lefleyan um, review of Lana was really, really great in that he dedicated an entire paragraph to our team. That he'd he'd been to Grana once before, and he was at he came in for breakfast the next morning after that um, that review at Lana, 
And so he'd had a good cross-section of interactions with, with all of our team. Like he sat at the pasta bar and talked to a chef about um, making pasta. He had engagement with the Lana staff, the Griner team, the breakfast team, um, the, the, the team in the bakery too. And he he actually said that there's there was a consistency and a real genuineness to absolutely everyone that he came into contact with. And for me, that personally, that was just a like such a, a – a, a privilege to hear, but also a, um, a, a justification of what we were trying to achieve. So we might not have the the, the history or the PR or the brand awareness or the, the deep pockets of some of our competitors, but I'd like to think that we have like really strong, strong values that tend to permeate through everything that we do. I think I think um, so. Just going back to Luke's premise for his question, then taking those values in, into you know, uh, was your question, Luke, about sort of further uh, like opportunities beyond like um, the immediate site, or was it just? Yeah, no, I think um, just in terms of your your perception of the Sydney market, what you guys had planned, because I understand there are multiple um, sites that have already been secured. Is that correct? And you are oh. looking to grow. Is that that yeah, true? yeah. So we um, well, we signed Hinchcliffe House a couple of years ago. Um, we um, we've run run the Carrington, which you've um, uh, which you mentioned before, Luke. Um, so. We've done a soft refurb of that and we're do- doing a few tweaks to that venue. Um, we have um, an- another three sites that we're in negotiation with, um, two in the CBD, one in the east- eastern suburbs. Um, so we are expanding and we're looking to do that. So I guess back to a point before, what we have to offer to the, the Sydney scene was just who we are and our values, but we want to put ourselves in a position where we've got you know multiple sites to then extend that culture too um but those values will permeate through everything that we do even though the venues might be a a bit different you'll still get a feeling for for all those um we we've some of the great comments we've got about grinder in particular um is around approachability um and getting that from the you know the northern cbd region of which we reside in is again a really good litmus test for us but also again a good a good compliments and we've been quite conscious with some decisions to be approachable so as you know luke the menu is on an a3 almost like placemat like you got it at sizzler um it's not in a beautiful bound menu which you know says a certain thing um some some tables are shared at grana which again is is a bit um less formal than what you might might think. There's quite a lot of high tables on stools. In fact, most of them are high tables, which is, a, again, a bit more of a, a casual feel um, than the music and the pricing um, and also the, the uniforms of the team is all very approachable as well. So we want to offer value to our guests, but, but also at the same time, um, we'd love them to walk away going, I can't believe I had that experience for that price point. Like it was so approachable, but I got such great service. It was such a beautiful environment. The food was really good quality. I didn't feel like they were skimping on on anything. So um, it, we're, that's a, a model that we're going to apply to most of the the, the things that, that we do. It needs to be approachable. It needs to be authentic. It needs to be it needs to have a, a stern concept and a and an anchoring um, you know theme to it to to, to ground all the decisions. And our values have to come through as well. So hopefully you'll walk into any of our new venues and feel that it's 
one of our, our venues. Now our group's called House Made Hospitality and that you'll um, be able to feel the linkage even though the venue itself might be a bit a bit different. But, um, but yeah, we have just stumbled across some really good opportunities and most of them came during COVID last year. Um, and even though we didn't have any sites um, at that stage, there's still opportunities out there for people. Um, unfortunately, during various lockdowns, there's more opportunities becoming available as people decide it's not for them or they go under, unfortunately. So um, there's less people around to take those opportunities because not only is the industry shrinking a bit, I think, because of all these lockdowns. I, I know a few people that have closed their, their, their cafes for good. Um, but also I think like it's it's harder to attract investment in this industry as well. And I speak from personal experience because people are just nervous to invest in, in hospitality currently. So um, there's still opportunities if you have the, the, the appetite to go after them, which we do. So I guess we're lucky in that respect that we're in a position to go, go after these, these, these opportunities. Mm, I think the um, exciting thing is just uh, obviously the fundamentals of opening up a hospitality business are, are clearly well um, well established in your business based on what you're saying. You know, getting the values right I think is is highly important. But just the team that you've put together I think is pretty exceptional when you weigh up all the different skill sets across um, the the leaders that you've mentioned in uh, in your business, I think it's uh, going to be a pretty exciting future for you guys, which is great. Yeah, no, we're we're very, very excited. Yeah, it's very excited. It'll be no, <laughs> it'll be a hard 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 road to get there. But Michael or Chazzy, is there anything that we haven't covered that you think would be worthwhile? Oh, like just from my perspective, and like because I feel like Luke, it'd be good to kind of um, try and get this episode out there relatively quickly, just because of yeah. the the timeliness of it but I guess uh, one thing I spend quite a bit of um, time thinking about and is is I guess the future of audiences in 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 that CBD district in the in the, yeah. in, in the city because I guess um, you, you know Justin when you signed that lease two years ago I think um, th- there was an element of assumption about how many people come in to work on an ongoing basis and the, the sort of cultural use of the city as I describe it from you know largely was predicated on people coming in at nine in the morning, working the day and then going out afterwards as opposed to, you know, um, a sort of reduction in the city, at the, which is well, clearly right at the moment. But even even pre this lockdown, I think occupancy was at 60-odd percent as opposed to, you know, pre-COVID levels. And so I, I think um, um, I'm just interested, uh, like, because I think what you're describing in terms of that approachability is partly my instincts too of, uh, you know, how city businesses need, I'd encourage them to think about are you inclusive to a, a wide audience um, because in, in context, and I'm sure that in time the city will come back, but it will take – so don't create barriers if you can avoid it. And, and I think yep. it's really um, dexterous, if I can use that word of you, if you can – given the little I've seen of um, Hinchcliffe House in, in the time, but it, 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 uh, to an experienced hospitality patron and it, it's it's – it sort of feels premium, like it's a premium offer. It's clearly a premium offering. But if you can uh, have people walk away feeling like that was great value and uh, it was approachable and inclusive, then I, f- I feel like that's the right spot. I'd be encouraging people to 
in the industry to be thinking about that. Um, you know, don't create no barriers to anybody. I think is 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 where businesses will, as we rediscover audience and rediscover going out. I think that's an insight that yeah, it strikes a chord with me. Yeah, uh, and as well as being approachable within one venue, I think we purposely built all the concepts within Hinchcliffe House so that we have a very broad appeal. Like we've got our our bakers start at 2.30 in the morning. We we open the bakery, which is like a, a takeaway shop at, at, at 6 in the morning. But um, Apollonia, which is where I found you that night, mate, that trades until till 3 in the morning. So we've got something from first thing in the morning through till yeah. late at night. We've got event spaces. We've got restaurants. We've got more premium restaurants. We've got casual restaurants. We've got a bar. There's a dessert kitchen there too. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff to appeal to as many people as possible. Um we have people living above us. There's um, three apartment blocks, which I guess is is an advantage. We have a combination of residential, um, retail, and commercial sites within the key quarter precinct, which I think was a very um, uh, in, intelligent move by um, by the landlords and the developers. Um, but also, um, interesting thing is that people might not be coming into the city as much, right? Like you you might only be coming to the city three days a week instead of five. But when you used to come into the city five days a week, you probably only go out once anyway. Yeah. yeah. The three days that you're in, you're still going to go out that, that one time. In fact, you'll probably go out for longer because you've been at home for five days, you know. so It is actually like what um, you know, is happening is that when people come in, they uh, tend to socialise more because they're not seeing people uh, as they would normally. Um, yeah. I, I know I punch way above average, but then again, uh, it's all in the job title. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> but we've got to lead by example. So, look, I, I honestly hope we can uh, – I can see the day uh, um, when Hinchcliffe Events welcomes, uh, uh, w- w- welcomes me and uh, – do something, try and, try and find something special and do it and do it with you. I reckon um, we might jump into the final five questions. What do you reckon, Luke? Yep, let's do it. Uh, so, uh, I'm reading books at the moment, that's for sure. But uh, what's your favourite book that you've recently read or podcast you might listen to, Justin? Um, so I haven't actually had much time to read, um, but I do drive to and from work each day. Um, so um, I've, I'm actually the uh, the Deep in the Weeds podcast by um, Anthony Huckstep, I think is um, – I, I just – obviously that came out of COVID last year. Um, obviously he needed to, to pivot and I – hate that word right but um i just the broad range of um of people that he covers within the industry and the personal questions and i find that extremely engaging so yeah pretty up to date with all of them and of course the back of house podcast which is my favorite so <laughs> uh, yes gold star um, uh, uh, music wise you talk a little bit about music in the venues but uh do you have a favorite album or artist that you're listening to right now um Last two and a half weeks have been in lockdown, so I've been. I'm talking to you from a converted um, garage, which is now my my office. So, um, I've because I'm sitting at a desk a lot. I've got the advantage of having music playing in the background, which is not the music that we've put on in Grana or Aplena, etc. I've, I've always been a fan of this this guy out of the UK called Alpha Mist, and he's just this, this young guy that um, just just does really amazing like jazz. Um, and but it's 
modern jazz, it's really good to kind of sit in the background and really kind of sets the tone and gets me in a really good working frame of mind. There's not too many vocals, so I'm not too distracted from the work that I'm to do, but um, I find his albums just absolutely enthralling. So. Thank you very much. Adding to my playlist as we speak, um, and uh, uh, let's 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 apply like a, a lockdown theme to this. A favourite drink right now? Um, I'm I'm still it's so stereotypical, but the Negroni for me just ticks all the boxes. <laughs> and I, I know that I have to say that because of Jason Williams, but you know I've got the ingredients at home. It's really you know it's it's simple. It's it's satisfying. It hits the spot. Great. Yeah, I've got to say, I think I did. Uh, I did go into Apollonia and just um, say, "Well, I'll start at the top then." And then, <laughs> um, um, so I was part way through, but uh, we'll pick up the story on the other side of this, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's land a favourite venue that isn't your own. As uh, the next question. Yeah. Good question. Um, for all the reasons and bits and pieces that I've spoken about. Um, Hubert, for me, just ticks so many boxes. Um, when you're down there, you feel like you're somewhere else. Like they've just, uh, you, you're transposed, transported um, to this completely different world and, you know, hours can pass away. Um, there's a really good sense of, of, you know, care and hospitality. Um, there's a really strong theme. Like you can you can feel it. It's, it's really authentic. Um the quality is great. The service is great. Like the, there's the different areas too that you can kind of escape into. It's just, yeah, it just ticks all the boxes for me. It's a popular favourite for many, isn't it? And uh, and another another oh, we will be returning to shortly. We hope. And uh, <laughs> finally, uh, for this podcast, uh, your favourite, uh, who, <laughs> who in the industry are you most inspired by, and why? Um. For this, this question, I'm going to be uh, um, a bit more broad. And, Luke, I don't know if you can talk to this too, but I've got to say um, coming out of so many different work environments, doing my own thing, I really have to say that um, the time I spent with, with, with Keystone has been probably the most inspiring of, of, of my career. And if not that there's so many um, industry heavyweights now um, that have come out of that that business but um, just experiencing different cultures and different ways of doing things the um, the way that they ran their business the process the procedure the diligence but also the care um, you know everything from the the staff parties to that supplier cruise loop that, that, that we had each year like it was just a you know you just felt like it, you were part of part of a family um, and now I've got my own business, I do look back to that time with Keystone and I look at, you know, the guys that, that ran it and, you know, I look at them as being, you know, really inspiring. And I probably didn't um, acknowledge that enough whilst I was there because you just take it for granted as you do with with every family, right? You just take your family for granted and, until you leave and you go overseas and you go, oh, shit, I really miss my family. So, um, yeah, the, the guys at Keystone, I think, still still inspire me. There's some Godfather reference in there about the family, um, but uh, anyway. <laughs> hey, uh, um, what's the Godfather? <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, a, a sign of a, a, a incomplete ed- education. Hey, um, Justin, thanks so much for your time today, and uh, particularly in circumstances that, which we'd all rather not be in. But um, and and you know, as I share Luke's optimism and uh, somewhat selfishly, thank you for having being bold with uh, opening the property in the first instance because it does, I think, you know, for, for the work that we're trying to do and, t- and tell a new story for Sydney's nightlife. Like when we get the opportunity again on the other side, um, you know, you know, it's a great asset to be to be had, and I'm sure that you'll you'll find yourself uh, in the news uh, and in those publications soon enough. Uh, so for me, very much, thank you. Yeah, great. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot for inviting me, Phil. Really, uh, really privileged to be a part of it. So. Take care in lockdown, guys. Luke, I hope you don't go into lockdown. <laughs> Mate, I will be absolutely gutted if we go into lockdown, honestly. But, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Stay safe, Juzzy, and uh, we'll see you for a beverage very, very soon. Can't wait. See you guys. Mm-hmm.